Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, where we talk about solo and cooperative games. That's a lie. Where we talk about cooperative games and have design discussions, and today we're talking about... The Night Cage. The Night Cage. Night Cage. Night Cage, two men enter, one man leaves. <laughs> nice. Nice. Except for only four people have to enter exactly. And all of them must leave or you lose. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Not, not yes. very deadly at all. <laughs> well, it's very deadly. It's not Thunderdome, but, you know, it's certainly deadly. We'll, we'll get to that later on in our uh, discussion of the game, I think. Yeah, so, so this is one from Smirk and Dagger, fully cooperative or solo. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about uh, tiles in games and kind of like exploration and how you can use tiles in different ways and uh, discuss that a bit. But before we get into our game discussion, we'd like to thank some of our amazing Patreon supporters. This week, we're thanking Nihar Nilakani, a co-op lover, Eric Woning, a co-op fan, and Jordan Burnett, a co-op lover. So Nihar, Eric, and Jordan, thank you so much. And thanks to everybody, really, who supports us in any way, is on our Discord, uh, subscribe to either of our YouTube channels, has left a review for the podcast. That helps out a ton. Anything you do just to kind of join in the co-op family, the co-op revolution, we're all for it. Yes, and please leave those iTunes reviews or Apple Podcast reviews. We haven't had one in a while, and so we'd really appreciate some five-star reviews over there. Our older reviews are getting a little lonely, so we need some uh, some fresh reviews. So if you could do us one favor, that would be it this week. We'd appreciate it. All right. Uh, do we want to talk about some games we've been playing, Peter, or we uh, want to jump right into darkness? Well, we'll jump into darkness in Earthborn Rangers. Oh, I don't know. That's that's not very dark at all, is it? <laughs> no, the opposite of darkness. I think it's uh, yeah, I mean, l- literally the game stops when it's nighttime. <laughs> so <laughs> it is always bright and shiny when you're playing. Day cage. <laughs> it's, it's not nearly yeah, not the same ring to it. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Yeah. So Earthborn Rangers, we've been playing the prototype of that. And actually everybody can because it's on Tabletop Simulator. They've got a demo for it. It's interesting. I, we did a whole episode on it on the stream channel. And I, I'm sure you did one on the, the non-streaming channel as well, correct? Yeah, but but the non-streaming play was just my thoughts and a playthrough. The streaming channel we had, I think, four of us by the end. Uh, yep. Peter and Steve and me and Terrence, who often does the Marvel Champions uh, streams with Peter. And yeah, lots of different opinions, lots of good points brought up, lots of good concerns we'd like to see addressed before the game's finished. But yeah, uh, overall, what were your kind of takeaways with Earthborn Rangers, Peter? This is, by the way, I should say it's a kind of LCG-ish adventure game designed by Sadler Brothers and Andrew Navarro and somebody else who I'm forgetting. I apologize. <laughs> I'll look it up in a second. Yeah, it's like a new LCG. They're trying to do this kind of more sustainable printing model. Uh, definitely cool. But yeah, while I look up the name, while well, Peter, talk about it. Well, and we've also had coverage of it on this channel here. I know Jason did a couple of episodes on it as well. First interviewing Andrew Navarro about the gameplay, and then another one on the sustainability model that the company is trying to use. So go ahead and listen back to those if you haven't had a chance to. Those are really good episodes covering more about Earthborn Rangers. But what were our impressions of the game? Honestly, when I first heard about it, they're like, oh, you're just adventuring over land and like you're not really killing things and everybody's happy at the end and you might not have missions so you can just kind of explore around. After I heard all that, I was like, oh no. 
There is nothing about that that interests me at all. But I will say, I was actually quite impressed with the mechanics. That whole you're not killing stuff, that's a just a straight out lie. Certainly, you can't kill stuff at first and you're going to have to avoid things. But no, they have all the tropes that you would want in there from a fantasy game. Don't let them talk you out of it. But they have other stuff in there as well. So I I was more impressed with it than I thought I was going to be. I was very happy with the decisions that you had to make on your turn. I was very happy that it was kind of almost simultaneous where like one person take an action, then anybody else can take an action, then anybody else can take an action. And you're doing these kind of micro actions over and over again. Thought it ran pretty smoothly. And I I liked what I was doing. The question I think for all of us was, where's it going to go from here? Can they make the missions more interesting, right? This was a good first mission, but where is it going to go from here? Yeah, that's about where I am too. I really enjoyed it. And actually, I uh, ended up teaching it to a bunch of people on our Discord, just like running some games on TTS, not playing myself. And just like watching it, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, one of the coolest things for me is kind of the thematic connections and how animals will like hunt each other and you'll be saved from like the tiger that's trying to attack you because you'll get distracted like eating a deer or something. There's just lots of like really kind of cool like story moments that can spontaneously happen in the game. By the way, uh, I did want to say the other designers because there's five of them. Andrew Fisher and Brooks Flugauer-Levitz. Sorry if I got your name wrong. But yeah, so a bunch of people involved in the game. I definitely like it. I agree with Peter. I want to see where it goes. We should be getting a review copy uh, once it's all done to find out where they end up going with it. But so far, impressions are pretty positive for me. Yeah, and then the other big ones I've been playing lately is we started playing Descent, so look for a review of that coming soon. But you, Jerry, and I have played through a couple of missions, and I'm looking forward to playing again live with you guys tomorrow night. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to figure out my own thoughts on the game, but I'm enjoying it so far. Yeah, I'm having fun. It's it's hard for me to separate the fun we are having together because we're like reading the story in goofy voices and just having a fun time with it. Uh, Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how I actually feel about the design, but it's fun to play with you all. (laughs) Right. And so we're going to have to play it some more. But that review will have not only you and I, but Colin and Baron on it as well. And they're playing through it together. So it'll be fun getting kind of those different perspectives. And it'll be great having Colin and Baron back on the podcast again as well. Yep. And then uh, we've also been playing a few more on Tabletop Simulator. One that's uh, coming up, I think, in September on Kickstarter is Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. If you don't know, Red Dragon Inn, that one we would never covered because that's a competitive, <laughs> like, card drinking themed game. But Battle for Greyport is a favorite for me and Peter, and that's by the same people. And now they're doing a dungeon crawler called Tales from the Red Dragon Inn. And Peter, I know you only played one scenario, but how do you feel about it so far? Oh, I love it. It's exactly my kind of game. It has quick gameplay. So if you know me with dungeon crawls, what I've really realized about myself, I don't want overly complicated AI. I don't want overly complicated, even my turns. Like I want to do cool stuff and they have a cool cooldown system and (laughs) a lot of cools there. Cool cooldown system. (laughs) But you know, I don't know. It was just really clever without being overly bog you down, right? Like you just did stuff and it all seemed natural. You taught me the rules in probably five minutes. We finished the first mission, like the demo mission in less than 30 minutes. That's what I want. And there were no rules questions. It was simple, it was straightforward. I love adventure tactics. You guys know I love adventure tactics. This is what I wish the gameplay of adventure tactics was. I love the leveling of adventure tactics. Keep that the same. But I wish the gameplay was as streamlined and straightforward as this one was. It really sung to me. Now, I played one game with one character, and that one character seemed especially interesting. So I'm curious to see what the other characters do, because they all seemed very, very different. And I'm curious how that works out. 
Yeah, and I'm really enjoying it too. We just got access to a few more scenarios on TTS and we should be getting a physical prototype. So we'll have some stuff on it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be covered on both channels. That's for sure. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And then, uh, well, this, uh, just to mention, I've been working a lot on Tyrants of the Underdark, a solo variant for it. I think I'm just about done my design work for that. An unofficial solo variant. I should always <laughs> stress that point. I'm not getting paid for this. It's not like a official thing. And then uh, Valor and Villainy, I know I've been playing a ton of that, and Steve has as well. Peter, did you play one game with me, or did you try it a couple more times? I forget. I've played it a couple times now. We played it once, just two of us, and once with Jerry. Oh, that's right. I forgot. We have a playthrough on the streaming channel. Uh, what's the full name? It's like Valor and Villi- Villainy. It's not uh, Mordak. That was the first one. Toe, toe Jammers Twisted toe jam- Tunnels. Toe Jammers Twisted Tunnels. That's it. That's not, <laughs> it's not it at all, but y- y'all can look it up. <laughs> but... Yes, uh, I'm I think pretty sure it starts with a T, though. I'm pretty sure about that. I mean, I did. We, we just came up with the best name. They should clearly change it to Toe Jammer's <laughs> Twisted Tunnels, because why not? Um, hold on, I almost said the real name. It is uh, Valor and Villainy Ludwig's Labyrinth. There's not a T anywhere in that entire thing. Oh, no, Labyrinth has a T near the end. There you go. <laughs> I knew there was a T in there somewhere. <laughs> no. That wasn't it at all, obviously. But yeah, so this is another like light, fairly streamlined crawler. Not as streamlined as Tales from Red Dragon Inn. But I'm enjoying it a ton. I know, Peter, you're not as high on it. But for me, it's like, I just want to play it over and over again. Even the same scenarios keep on making me excited. So I'm definitely buying that one. They're supposed to have late pledging open soonish. And I'm going to jump in right when they do. Yeah, that one's a little bit of a step up. You're right. I don't like it as much, but I would still play it anytime. Right. It's not one I would purchase myself, but it is one that I would play at any time. So I'm glad you're getting it. I look forward to playing it more with you. And I know Jerry really liked it, too. So anybody who pays any attention to any of our content probably knows that Jerry doesn't like anything, especially anything co-op related. So anytime we can get him down for one is always a good sign. So and he really liked that one as well. So I'm a little bit of the odd man out because I think Steve really liked it as well. Yeah, one last one. Our game that we are designing for Blacklist Games, I think we've mentioned that before, but it's very close to being able to actually announce what it is. <laughs> we we still can today, but it's very close. We're finalizing graphic design. We're getting more playtesting done than our first round of playtesting. So uh, yeah, we've been working a lot on that and so excited to tell you about that one, about our other game. We have a couple games coming this year, so... Well, hopefully. Let, let, let's not make too many promises yet. Good point, let's, good point. But well, we, we have games we're working on, at least. <laughs> yes. Hopefully we'll get to tell you more about them in the near future. Yeah, and I won't go into Marvel Champions. You guys know how much I love it. But I've got a sneak preview of the next expansion, the next big box coming out. And it's I've been having fun with it so far. I'm just going to leave it at that. We'll have videos on the non-streaming channel and the streaming channel introducing you to the first couple scenarios and the two heroes in the pack as well. All right, but uh, enough about that. Let's get into our main event, the Night Cage. Night Cage. Night Cage. Go into the Night Cage. You'll never come out again. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't really know what happened to these people, and they don't really know what happened to themselves, but basically they woke up in the dark in the middle of this labyrinth with just a candle, and that is the story, and they've got to find a key. Uh, Each of them needs to find a key because one of them can't hold more than one key because if they did, they'd drop their candle. Apparently, they're giant keys. Yeah, very so, large, bulky keys. <laughs> right. right. They couldn't hold two themselves. So all of the different survivors have to hold the key, although they can throw them to each other if they're next to each other. So that's all right. At least there's something you can do with the keys. But yes, you're crawling around in these very tight labyrinth, which is constantly shifting and changing. I kind of think of uh, 
Hogwarts a little bit with the staircases that shift and move around. So even if you just came out of a corridor, it might be different the next time you turn around and go back. See, I, I was going to go with uh, Jennifer Connelly in Labyrinth. Remember near the beginning where the guys keep on like changing the uh, the turns behind her and stuff? Absolutely. But that's a little more obscure, I think, than Harry Potter. Maybe I'm wrong here. <laughs> Labyrinth with David Bowie? <laughs> I mean, obscure? <laughs> I mean, he does have one of the greatest songs of all time where he just starts singing for no reason. No, man. In the, in the middle of a, I mean, it's David Bowie. Like, what else? Right. I, I wanted to sing more in the whole movie. <laughs> Nice. But yes, uh, the mechanics are pretty straightforward. You always have four or five characters, so you can play with up to five players, but you just divide them up. Um, and you're on these tiles that come from this uh, big like tile draw stack. It's in like this candle holder kind of thing. All right, you noticed that because I didn't. And then oh. Allison's like, I was like, can't we just shuffle them up and put them in the box? She's like, no, I want to put them back in the candle. I'm like, what are you talking about? Putting them back in the candle. And then she pointed out that it looked like a candle. So I didn't even catch that on the uh, on first glance. Uh, nothing slips by you, Peter. But yes, yeah, so you uh, it's uh, tile-based. You have like this uh, board, this grid that you're placing the tiles on. On your turn, you can basically move one tile that you have an open passageway in, or you can just stay put, which has kind of its own rules going on. And as you move around, as Peter mentioned, tiles that you can't see anymore that aren't adjacent to you disappear. And if you go back that way, they'll become new tiles. The labyrinth is changing around you and place new tiles as you move around. And the tile stack is a finite limit. So the game will end if you run out of tiles in the stack and you need to find the keys, you need to get to the gates. These monsters will attack you. You need to dodge their attacks or they will force you to discard tiles from the stack, which could mean you don't get the gates you need. could mean that you uh, run out of time. And there's a bunch of like bosses and more advanced things you can add in if you want to make the game more challenging. You can take out some of the negative things if you want to make it more easy, kind of like a lot of flexibility there. And yes, you need to all have a key at the same time and all get onto the same gate at the same time. And that's how you win. So let's get into our thoughts. And if you haven't listened to the podcast before, welcome. We discuss the five things that stand out to us most about the game and its design, starting from the thing that we think is uh, the least important of the five, but of course still very important, all the way to our number one thing we think you should know about the game. So Peter, you want to jump in with yours first? Sure. My number five is the falling and lights out action. I, I group these two things together. So what I mean by this is there are crumbling tiles in the game and you're allowed to stand still. You can use some of your actions to do that. And there are pros and cons to standing still. But if you stand still in a pit or if you move into a tile that's a pit, so these crumbling tiles will turn into pits after you're there for one turn. Starting tiles, one of those, some of the monsters turn into pits when you go onto them. So when you go into one of these pits, you do a falling action, and basically you can come in anywhere on a random tile. You just draw a tile from the thing, and you put yourself on that tile. It could be a monster, something bad. It could be something really good. could be whatever. But it's a random draw, and it's just one tile. Lights out is at some points you'll get shot by monsters throughout the course of the game. Not only do you have to discard tiles from the stack, which progresses you toward losing the game, Sometimes when you're discarding these tiles, you're discarding the tiles you need. There's only three gates in the whole stack, and there's only six keys. So it's very random sometimes. You could land on one of the best things ever, or you could land on one of the monsters, which is going to make you discard even more tiles. 
it's a very stressful, tense kind of a thing. Even though it's just totally random, I move one place. It's like, oh man, is this going to be a thing that loses me? So you never want to take damage. And like avoiding damage at all costs is like a big part of this game. And so I just think that those actions specifically when your light's out, meaning you can only see your tile, nothing adjacent, or when you fall and just have to place yourself randomly, I think those are very stressful, tense moments, both for better and worse. I think a lot of times for the better of the game, though. Yep, I'll talk about both of those uh, soon. And (laughs) I'm going to tell you all for free, this is not a very complicated game, so I imagine Peter and I will have a lot of of similar elements, but maybe they'll be differently ranked or we'll feel differently about them. My number five is the gameplay and cooperation the the teach of the game, the rules of the game, and how you cooperate in it and what actions you take. And uh, it's kind of mixed for me because I think this is a very accessible game. Like, it's pretty quick to teach the core rules. Again, all you're doing is taking very simple actions on your turn. I played it with my eight-year-old. I played it with my five-year-old. I played it with Peter and Jerry in our game group. I played it with my wife. And it was incredibly quick to teach every time. Incredibly straightforward. My kids love it. But, you know, that's also kind of the drawback in that it is so simple There's not really any hidden information except for which tiles will come out of the draw stack. So you might have alpha player with that. The cooperation is like fairly straightforward and could be seen by some as limited. So I'm not saying this as bad or good. It's going to depend on who you're playing it with and kind of how heavy of a gamer they are. But uh, just to be aware, it's a very straightforward and accessible game for good and for bad. And I would say the cooperation is almost anti-cooperation sometimes. What I mean by that is you don't really do that much to help each other, but boy, you can do things to hurt each other because anytime (laughs) anybody moves in front of any monster, it shoots in every direction. And if it hits another monster, then it shoots again. And you could end up losing, like I said, every time you're hit by the normal monsters, the wax eaters, you lose three tiles from the stack. But if two people are hit, now you're losing six. Or if you're hit by a second monster, you're losing six, sometimes nine. I've definitely gone through like, quite a few tiles with one hit just as like, okay, what can I do to minimize the damage here? Right. It's almost like, what can I do to not get killed the worst here? Sometimes that's just the way the tiles come out of the bag where they just line up facing each other and there's no, nothing you can do. You're backed into a corner. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'll talk more about like specific things of cooperation later. I think there are some really good uh, moments of cooperation too, but I'll save that for a minute. All right. Well, my number four is the basic game versus the advanced game. And the basic game, basically, you have tiles, which show you anywhere from two exits to four exits. So one on each side or just straight across lines. And they have the gates, they have the keys, and they have these monsters called wax eaters. And there are 12 of them in the game. I think it's the basic game because there aren't that many different things that could happen, right? The, you know, the, the rules are more basic, but then there's the advanced game, which swaps out all the keys for these like monsters holding keys, which you kind of have to sneak around the back of to get the key or take some damage by going into them. But it takes out a lot of the wax eaters and the monsters that shoot you don't do nearly as much damage. It does some other things too. There's another one that turns regular tiles into pits, but I actually found the advanced game easier at least difficulty-wise for me and my plays of it, then I found the basic game. And so it's interesting to me that I think the basic game, I have a hard time beating the basic game. And I agree, my daughter loves the game too. I know you talked about your kids loving it. My daughter loves this game. She said it's her number one game and she doesn't like a lot of stuff. It's that and five minute dungeon is all I can get her to play. Not even five minute Marvel, forget that. Like it's gotta be dungeon or this. So I don't know, maybe she'll be a dungeon crawler later in life. 
but I found the advanced game to be less hard and less harsh in my mind than the basic game because those wax eaters are brutal. And there's tons of them. There's 12 of them in the game. Like you hate every time you see a wax eater. When you see a guy with a key, even though it's a monster, it's not as bad. And they only take away one tile when they shoot you. So for me, I found the advanced game to be less hard than the basic game, which seemed a little off to me. Well, so uh, this is the one point that I regretted not putting in my video review, but I didn't want to add it now to the list because I knew you were going to talk about it. I, first of all, I agree with you that the advanced game in some ways doesn't isn't always harder, but I think it's more interesting in some ways. I like the uh, the key guys, like the key monsters, as opposed to the uh, the actual keys. Sure, but I wouldn't want to add those in with 12 wax eaters. Are you kidding me? Well, that's that, ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's what I was about to say. Like, I don't think it's entirely fair to complain about the game being like easy or hard because it is so easy to adjust the difficulty. Sure. Because you can add in like, you know, you took out six or eight wax, wax eaters. You can add in all of them right back. You know, you can take out some of the keys. They on purpose give you extra tiles and like you have these bosses. You have these even harder monsters you can add. So I think you can really tailor the experience, you know, for this very light game to what uh, you want it to be. Like for my kids, I actually started playing with three survivors. So it was easier for us to get out, but throwing in some of the toughest bosses because they just got really excited to play with them. So the game's very modifiable. Although (laughs) I guess, you know, the game doesn't necessarily tell you that. It says like, this is the way to play hard. This is the way to play normal. So that's maybe not in its uh, best interest. Right. But I would say if you're going to play the basic game, I wouldn't start with 12. It tells you to do 12 of the wax eaters and you go down to four for the advanced game. I would say you could probably put in eight to 10 of those wax eaters just to make it a little bit easier on yourself when you're first trying to learn the game, because it can be very harsh and seemingly unfair when you're first starting. Absolutely. All right. So my number four, you put together falling with something else for your number five, Peter. I put it together. My number four, I put the staying action and the falling action together because I think both of these are the things that add a little bit of a wrinkle to the basic turn of just moving in a direction. So uh, as I mentioned previously, you can stay in your tile instead of moving and doing so builds up these things called nerve tokens that let you charge monsters to steal a key from them, let you take multiple turns in a row if you've kind of fallen behind the rest of the group, sort of a few different interesting uses of them. But yeah, just uh, I know it's a very simple thing in a very simple game, but the fact that I can choose to stand in one place sometimes instead of moving and kind of the the very simple, but still sort of strategic options that opens up, like not moving when a monster is looking at me until my friend opens up a passageway for me to run to, or uh, that kind of thing. I think that's pretty cool. And falling, I think is also very cool. Like you said, Peter, there is uh, the swinginess of what you land on. You might land on a monster. You might totally mess up the group by the luck. So like falling is not something you should necessarily seek out. But the fact you can jump in a pit and when you jump in a pit or when you fall into a pit, you get to pick on your next turn, any uh, space in either the row of the or the column of that pit to spawn onto. So it becomes a strategic thing, especially late game when you have to all meet up on the same gate. It becomes a strategic element to jump in a pit on purpose, taking your chances and having the tension of that to basically get closer to the rest of the group. So I like that it gives some extra options on your turn. It's nothing groundbreaking or earth shattering, but I like the little bit of nuance and extra decision space that it offers. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, my three is my first real straight-up con. I mean, the rest have been either neutral or a little bit of a pro. This, I think, is a straight-up con for me, and that's the cleanup and setup of the game, which sounds stupid, right? It's like, oh, shuffling a deck of cards is a turnoff for you, and it's not a deck of cards, though. It's these thick, I don't know, inch-and-a-half by inch-and-a-half tiles that you've got to shuffle together, 
and there's like, I don't know, 40, 50 of them. And I don't know if you ever try to shuffle tiles, but it's not that easy. And the problem is you want to separate them out. So you kind of know how many monsters have come out already. You know how many keys have come out already. So you don't want to just kind of throw them in a random pile as you're going. You kind of need to know that information as you're playing the game. But then at the end, you got these piles of things that are all separated together. And I've certainly found that I haven't done a good enough job shuffling sometimes. And they've been clumped together or you'll just get swingy luck one way or another, which is a totally different point, which I didn't even add in here. But it's definitely could be swingy. Like if you get all the monsters early, you get all the keys early. It could definitely vary in difficulty because of that. But I think just the act of having to shuffle all these tiles together, it's not like a deck of 50 cards, right? A deck of 50 tiles is pretty tall. It's like a foot off the table by the time you're done. So I don't know. It it was a pain for me. I dreaded doing it every time. And I never quite was happy with the randomization afterward, even though I'm sure it was plenty random. I wish there was just a bag, right? All they need to do is have a bag, throw all the tiles in and pull them out of the bag. It would have been much easier. And I feel like it would have been much more random. Yeah, this uh, did make my list, but I don't disagree with you. I think it is going to be an annoyance for uh, many players. Uh, What I did, the designer suggested this on BGG. I would just uh, do the shuffling at the end of every game, basically as my cleanup. And like the big bag they include in the game is big enough to basically hold the entire like candle holder with the tiles in it. So I would literally just set up for the next game at the end of each game. And it would just take like an extra minute over cleaning up the game anyway. But I'm also, uh, I do like the deal shuffle thing where like you deal into random piles and just do that a few times. So I didn't find the shuffling that onerous. But uh, again, I, I don't disagree with you, Peter. I, I kind of found ways around it, but <laughs> I had to find those ways around it or I'm sure I would have been annoyed too. Sure. Uh, so my number three is one of the stronger pros for the game. Although again, it is very straightforward. I'm not trying to say this is a heavy game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to appreciate it for what it is and what it does. And that is uh, the, the cooperation that is there in the team movement. So you are moving around this, uh, this you know, little labyrinth or dungeon. And there are very simple choices, again, just like the falling and staying, but still somewhat interesting choices of how close you stay to each other. And to explain what I mean, you know, the, the labyrinth is disappearing behind you whenever you're not adjacent to a tile anymore. But if you have another player there, their candle will still light that tile so it won't go away for you. And that opens up a lot of things. Like if you stay close to each other, you reveal tiles more slowly because you aren't like leaving as many things behind. You don't go through the stack as quickly. You can kind of control your pace. The keys, each of you need to get your own separate key. So by staying close together, you can make sure that the keys are nearby. At the end of the game, you all need to end up on the exact same gate. So that's another reason to stay close together. But like Peter mentioned, the monsters will dominate you and just crush you if you all stay too close together and you get like multiple lines of sight on people. So just like those little choices of how close you stay together, how far apart you go, and also rescuing each other. Like when one person is kind of stranded or their candle is going out and you're trying to like move together to create paths for them, trying to like make ways for them to reach you. I think it's, again, very simple stuff, but just the interplay of having four or five characters. If this was like a two-character game or a one-character game, I think it would be boring as heck. But the like little bit of team movement going on, especially if you can resist the alpha player thing and just like let each other kind of talk and brainstorm and have fun together, I think it works pretty well for this uh, streamlined game that it is. Yeah, and my number two is very closely related to that. It's I called it the light puzzle which light meaning lighting the tiles next to you. So each character can only see their tile and the four adjacent tiles. And then if you get hit by a monster, you can only see your tile. And as Mike's pointed out, if you go next to each other, that 
other person's tile gets lit up again or candle gets lit up and you have a player board that flips over to show whether your candle's lit or not. Most of the time, most of your people are going to be lit unless again, you mess up and get three of them shot at the same time and uh, then everybody's candle goes out. But it's interesting how the puzzle works because like we said earlier, you can literally leave a tile, get shot, then get your candle relit on the same turn. All those tiles that you just saw now go away and you're drawing new tiles. So the puzzle of when you want to, sometimes I would get shot on purpose to get rid of monsters from the board because I knew other characters had to go down a certain way or sometimes the pits also blocked it. So I'd see a crumbling tile and I'd make sure to either fall down the pit or, or get that tile to crumble. And that way I knew the monsters shot couldn't go past that to hit the people on the other side of it. So I think there is a neat little puzzle there with how that goes moving in certain ways to make monsters disappear without having them shoot your characters. Or again, sometimes just choosing to get shot. So that character loses light, but that also means that character can't see the monster anymore. And so that monster tile goes away. So the way the light system in the game works is pretty neat. And I think it's probably the, my favorite part of the game and uh, the best part of the game for me. Well, it's definitely the best part of the game for me because that was my number two, just kind of comboing off of the uh, the group movement. And I agree with everything you said. So moving on, number one. <laughs> or I guess I can do my number one since you just talked a good bit. And I have a feeling our number ones might be the same because we both said it wasn't necessarily a positive for us. And it's something we haven't covered yet. So go yeah, ahead. Well, What's your number you, one? You mentioned my number one, so I'm not sure if it's on your list at all. But okay, I, I, I yeah, I think just the swinginess and the randomness of the tiles can be a big drag on the game. And to explain what I mean, you know, you're really digging for these keys and these gates. And sometimes if you just follow the rules as written, you just shuffle everything together. I've had games where all the gates were on the bottom or or much worse, all the keys were on the bottom and all the gates were near the top. Yes. <laughs> then you got to keep a gate lit the whole time. Yeah, you got to keep a gate lit the whole time, which means at least one character is basically stuck just guarding this gate. You're waiting forever for the keys. You can't get them until too late. It basically becomes impossible to win. And then I've had the exact opposite. I think actually the first game I played with uh, you and Jerry, Peter, we won like, we got all the keys like before we were in halfway through the stack. <laughs> yep. So I do think that some of the advanced modules tend to help with that a little bit, especially like the advanced key monsters because they make getting the keys, the keys don't go away. That helps you, but getting them is tougher. That hurts you. So I think it does kind of a nice job of sort of dealing with that swinginess. And also, I talked about this in my video review, this is totally the kind of game where you could set it up pandemic style and kind of like distribute out the gates and the keys in the uh, deck in some way. But <laughs> And I would say even the monsters as well, Absolutely. if you're going to do it that way. But Peter already said the game sometimes takes too long to set up. So do you really want to like divide these into like separate piles and then shuffle each of those piles and then shuffle all those piles together? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think there's ways to get around it. And I think if you just kind of play it without worrying too much about winning and losing, just kind of like have fun with the spirit of the game and try your best. I think it's still a really good time. Like I said, my family really enjoys it. But uh, I mean, this is a game where luck can just totally kill you or make it a very boring experience. And, you know, if I really get down to it, a lot of the games I've played ended up one of those two ways, like kind of a hopeless win or a, like, forgone conclusion win. The game, like, hits that nice, sweet spot of, like, we can win, but it's tough, maybe slightly more than 50% for me, which is why it's my number one. I think it's definitely something to be concerned about. And my number one was the monsters themselves. I, I think there are interesting monsters in the game. I mean, the wax eaters are the most common ones where, again, they just shoot in a straight line until they hit either a pit 
or a hole in the map or a wall doing three tiles of damage and putting the light out of the person. But then you get the key monsters, which do one damage typically. But if you don't sneak up on them from exactly behind, anytime you go on their tile, you take three damage. You have other monsters that turn every diagonal tile into pits. So things fall down and sometimes it's good for you, sometimes bad. You have the boss monsters, which do things like turn half the map into a pit until everybody gets away from it. Or the other ones just shoot infinitely. They don't care about walls, anything. They just shoot through everything for five tiles. So there are some bosses like that. So I like the variety in the bosses. I like what they do. I like the variety in the monsters. But boy, they can sometimes... Look, without them, it wouldn't be a game, right? (laughs) Like, let's be honest. If you're just moving around and just trying to light these tiles and get a key, it wouldn't be much of a game or much difficulty. But boy, especially those wax eaters, those basic ones, I find them very frustrating in the basic game because there's 12 of them. So uh, yeah, for me, I I guess it has to do with swinginess. You can line them up in certain ways. And I mean, I guess that's one of the quote unquote skills of the game that you can get better at is figuring out, okay, if I get a wax eater here, how bad is this going to be? And like, how many tiles do I have out? And what percentage of them are wax eaters, right? All right, there's only three more wax eaters. The odds aren't that great that I'm going to draw a wax eater here. So I think a lot of your decisions come down to that oh i know i'm only going to reveal one tile here so that means it's got to be placed in this way so if it's a wax eater it's going to hit three of us i better not go that way maybe i'll go the other way so just the monsters i think make the game but they also make the game frustrating for me and i'll I'll get into that in my final thoughts and actually i may as well just keep going with it because you got into it a little bit this game was more frustrating than fun for me i did not find the puzzle as interesting I, I and i found the setup slash cleanup i know you said you do it at the end of the game it doesn't matter to me it still takes the same amount of time right so whether it's setup or cleanup doesn't matter i found that frustrating i didn't love this one i gotta be honest but counterpoint it's my daughter's number one favorite game and i never get to play with her so i'm gonna keep playing it right just so i can play it with her but personally if it was just me and like me and you and jerry or whatever game group we had, I wouldn't whip it out for that. Like, I don't find it enjoyable enough. I'm going to play it to enjoy my time with my daughter, though. That's for sure. Yeah, and and I'm not... I definitely like it a good bit more than you, I think, but I don't disagree with anything you just said. I would not break this out again with, like, my heavier game group, with, like, casual players who might play something like, I don't know, (laughs) Catan or Pandemic, I think it would be fine. And certainly with, like, my family and my kids. Like, it's also my kid's favorite game right now. And it's funny because like the, the theme does not seem like a kid's theme. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I don't get it. I, I'm still trying to figure out. I asked her before she left because she's away camping. So I had to do a lot of these plays solo at the end there just to get a better feel for everything. And I was like, yeah, I don't see what she's seeing. But I think she likes the reveal. I think it's almost like a present, like flipping over those tiles, right? It's like, oh, what's going to be behind this one? What's going to be behind this one? I don't think she cares about the strategy or any of that stuff. And that's fine. For her, that's the fun thing. She hasn't had one of these tile flipping games. And we'll get into that in the design discussion too. But go ahead. Sorry. Finish your final thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, like, definitely. Like, I I mean, I even find the tile reveal to be fun, but they love it. And especially when we add in, like, the bosses and stuff, and they're like, oh, when's the guy, giant guy going to smash half the board into a pit? Like, oh, my gosh, he's coming. Oh, like, they get scared of it, but they're, they're like, laughing the entire time. And they're also, like, the worst cooperators, and it's hilarious. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'll be like, Harrison, come come light my candle, man. I'm lost in the darkness. Come light my candle. He's like, nah, Daddy, I'm going this way. I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, I'm like, let me get that key. I need that key. Now I'm getting that key. No, you're going to make a pit. <laughs> so, yeah, like, we just had a blast with it. I, I think you need to go with the right mindset. Like, this is not like a lot of games we cover. 
I wouldn't call it a kid's game, but it's very much like a light, random, kind of goofy game. And I think if he can get into that feel and get over some of the frustration that Peter talked about with setup and stuff, I think it can be a lot of fun. So it's definitely a keeper for me, but mainly because my kids love it. If I was only going to play this solo, I don't know. There's better solo like puzzles for me to experience. So yeah, it's a recommendation depending on who you'll play it with, basically. And as simple as the rules are, there's some clear missteps in the rules as well. I mean, you guys know if you've listened to us long enough, this is a sticking point for me. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Like, the rules aren't that complicated, but like, there's situations, and I've got most of them cleared up on BGG, right? So if you just look at the BGG rules thread, you'll figure out what the problems are and like what the answers are for most of them. But it's just weird. It's like, all right, so sometimes monsters turn into pits when you go on their spaces, and sometimes they don't. And like, I don't know why there's so many exceptions for like this pretty simple tile game it seems like there was a cleaner way to do a lot of these rules well and here's the weird part we talked about this the other day peter (laughs) yeah apparently this game i think it was a print and play first that's the sense i got because i found a like free file online with like uh older version of the rules of the game and like the tiles that look the same and all that kind of stuff and those rules i found much clearer and i was like wait how did you (laughs) How did you take a fully functioning, clear rulebook and make it less clear? Like, it's not bad. You could definitely just sit down and play the game and not worry about some of the nuances. But it's just weird. <laughs> I don't know how you go backwards when apparently you already have a successful PNP like rulebook that you can work with. Yeah, like one of the nitpicky ones was there is a section that says when you get a key from a keeper, which are the monsters that have the keys in them, it says the tile disappears into a pit and you can move to an adjacent tile. All that's clear, right? But it was in a section for if you move in from the front or side or fall onto it. It didn't say if you come in from the back, which is the normal way you want to go, that you're supposed to do that. It was literally in the same paragraph with all that other rules text. It tells you that. So I just assumed it meant in that situation, that's what's going on, right? The rules are like joined together. The rules are all there. They're all clear. But like the organization is just bad for whatever reason. I don't know. It just, they made it harder than it needed to be. Yep. So not a big thing. Like you'll notice that neither of us put it in our five points, which we have done when the rules are abysmal for a game. <laughs> but, yeah, they're not abysmal, but they're frustratingly missing or overcomplicated for no reason. Yes. So, so if it is the kind of game you can just kind of stumble through with the rules and you'll be fine. Certainly my kids and I have done that. But if you want to be sure you're playing correctly, just be ready to dig through like a few uh, questions on the BGG forums and stuff. All right. So there's our final thoughts. I think definitely recommend for families and kids like all of our kids apparently love this game. Not exactly sure why myself, but again, I don't know if it's a recommend if you just plan on playing it with a game group or trying to play it solo. Yep. Yep. Right there with you. All right. So now we're going to get into uh, tiles, which is not... Uh, tiles are not the most common thing in a co-op game are they no well we were trying to think of a design discussion earlier and it's funny i think this is one of the first ones that's not one of our five points right like it's very related to game no question about that but yeah when i think of a tile game i think of carcassonne is is the first one i ever played well sure and i like just did a video recently on the uh the non-streaming channel for uh between two castles the mix of uh between two cities and castles of mad king ludwig and I was building a castle with some tiles, baby. If you are going to see, you see it a lot in dungeon crawls. We were talking about Ludwig's Labyrinth the other day, uh, earlier, or Valor and Villainy. I thought it was like <laughs> Twinkle Toes uh, Tunnels of Solitude. <laughs> yes, yes, that one too. Uh, that, that's the next expansion. 
but we were talking about that and that one you're definitely flipping a random tile and kind of exploring along there was also in a game that colin really liked that wasn't a co-op game but it was a solo game which is a dungeon alliance that colin i know really likes well yeah and i think i mean here's the thing i want to clarify because not everything we're talking about is necessarily a tile tile but when I think of tiles, especially in co-op games, it's something that is being flipped over and then put in a, in a permanent or semi-permanent like spot on the board with the player having some control over it. You know what I mean? So sometimes, like I think in uh, Valor and Villainy, they might be cards instead of tiles. Sure. But like the, the same kind of mechanic applies there. Well, I think the big one is Seventh Continent, right? Those are all cards, but it functions exactly the same as it does in this game. Yeah, so the idea of, like, building a map or building out something with some permanence but, like, flip from a deck. Now, Seventh Continent's a little different. I think of most tile-laying games as, like, having, like, a random pile of tiles, whereas Seventh Continent is very specific about, like, which cards go where and which cards are adjacent to which other cards. But, yeah, I mean, I I think the first thing to talk about here, you know, whether we're talking about tiles or just the idea of exploration in co-op games, is that flip, right? Like, what is coming? What's going to get Allison excited playing the Night Cage? <laughs> yep. Like, is it bad for me? Is it good for me? And, you know, a lot of games have a flip. A lot of games have you revealing something. Like, you draw the, uh, you know, the villain's card in Marvel Champions. Oh, man, they played the exact wrong card. Oh, it's Shadows of the Past. The entire game is ruined, you know. But I think the the permanence of tiles and the fact that you have to put it on the map and it is like building something out and like when you're doing that dungeon crawler and you like need to go this direction and oh, you pulled the dead end and all your hopes are dashed and it is sitting there on the board for the rest of the game. I think there's, it kind of amps up the the reveal even more than just like a regular card draw in games. I don't know. What do you think, Peter? I agree. And I guess Night Cage, one thing they do really well is play with that a little bit, right? Because there isn't permanence unless you make it permanent by keeping it in your field of view. So every time you disappear, the map's changing all around you. So you kind of lose that sense of permanence here, but in an interesting way where you kind of wish you could keep it sometimes and you fight to keep it a lot of times, you know, oh man, there's that key over there. But if I go get it, that monster is going to shoot me, right? So what is the choice here? What do I have to do to find a way to get that key without getting shot by the monster? So there's a lot of different things you can do to play with that permanence. And I think Night Cage, of of all the things it does, I think that's the best one, is play with that sense of permanence with this flipping because every flip is different. Because if you didn't have that, then the map would grow to ginormous sizes, right? And so you have that issue as well. So I, I think they did, I guess that's one thing I think they did that's innovative here. And I'd like to see it in a game with a little bit more meat on the bones. Now, I guess if we really think about tile tiles, the most common thing we're seeing is euros where like adjacency and colors and shapes matter a lot, right? Yep. Like I'm thinking uh, C- Castles of Burgundy. That's one of your favorites, Peter. And that's all about like, well, not all about getting things next to each other. It depends on what they are. But yeah, like it's not just about putting the tiles somewhere, but it's about like how they relate to each other. Can you think of a co-op game or a solo game? I mean, solo euro variants, of course, but like a co-op game that does that? Where the shapes and stuff matter, where it's a puzzle. Yeah, or like, you know, this this color or this type. Bullet a little bit, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Bullet. I mean, those are tokens, not tiles. I mean, we're, we're, we're stretching the definition. Wait, and you're clearing them all the time. Yeah, are we just like, are we just saying tiles or anything that you put on a board? <laughs> 
No, but I mean, there there is placement in there, and there's permanence, and it it follows those rules. So, but but I think we are going a little bit off. I think the best examples in co-op games are where you're adding to the map tiles. And it's interesting because a lot of times it can be substituted for tokens. You think about the D&D adventure games. I think they have this system, right? You move on to a new tile, you flip it over, you see what happens. But games like Ultra Quest, they use cards for that exact same thing. You open a door, you flip over a card, and it tells you what's in that room, right? You don't have to flip over a tile. So I think there are alternate ways you can get the things that they do in co-op games in, Unless you're using this pathing system. And I think games like Shadows of Brimstone, you actually flip a card in that one too, but it tells you the exact tile piece that you're going to place. So I think games like that, Claustrophobia, which isn't a co-op game, but they play with this spatial element of it. And I think that's part of it also. I think that's where tiles might be at their best, where you've got these, okay, these are exits, but these aren't kind of a things. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I think if we're looking at something that compares a little bit to like Euros and kind of the idea that like I want my yellow tiles to be next to my green tiles or whatever, I guess maybe the closest thing is like putting out tiles in a dungeon crawler like Claustrophobia or Valor and Villainy, because then kind of like the adjacency and the patterns you're looking for become like the actual shape of the tunnels and the labyrinths and the things you're moving through and control both like the movement and the hold points of the defensive uh, lines for your your minions and your monsters and whatever. I mean, it's it's definitely not, <laughs> it's a bit of a strained analogy, but I think there are some uh, comparisons and similarities there. Well, I think it's more of the, am I going to hit a dead end or not? Am I going to hit an event? Is this next room going to be filled with monsters? And I think the benefit of tiles Like you said, it's a little bit different in Seventh Continent because it's all laid out for you. Now, you don't know what's on those tiles, so you still get that exploration feeling. But the difference is tiles, I guess, are a good way to randomize the dungeon, right? Or to randomize the element that you're going into. So if you need something with more replayability where you can go back and find something different every time. I mean, you think of a game like Diablo, right? So Diablo is a video game where you're just fighting monster after monster after monster after monster, but they randomly generate a map every time you go in. It's similar to the ones you've seen before, and that's what these games do because you have a limited stack of tiles, but it also can be very different. So there's another game. Oh, what's that other game that uh, that post-apocalyptic game? Oh, uh, Maximum Apocalypse? Maximum Apocalypse is another one that does it. And I think this game and Max Apocalypse point out some of the negatives of this too, though. That's exactly what I was about to jump into, because what, what do you suffer <laughs> at the, what is the cost of randomization? What is the cost of having the excitement that anything can happen? The dead end can show up at any time. And that is the swinginess. That is the variability of play length. Like in the Night Cage, a Maximum Apocalypse, you don't know if you're going to find the thing you need uh, really early or really late. The game might be really hard or really easy. It might be two hours or it might be 30 minutes. And that's, that's going to be fine for some groups. And there's also ways to get around that. Like we said, you can kind of stack things in a certain order. A lot of games will be like, you know, you don't know what the first 13 cards are, but you know that 14th card is the, or that, uh, you know, that 12th tile is going to be the tile you need, or it's in the bottom five tiles. So you can like kind of control the swinginess to an extent. But yeah, I mean, you are potentially suffering and giving some players a negative play experience and sometimes a very frustrating play experience and an unpredictable play experience, you know, as the cost of randomness and variety and surprise and like the fun of the flip. 
And I think that was my experience with Valor and Villainy, right? I've only played that game twice. But the first game we played, it was like every tile we went on to had an event, right? So it was like really quick. It wasn't even the second turn and we're already getting the boss out, right? And then Jerry's game, we got to do a little bit more exploring. We got a bunch more stuff. And so it was very variable are two different games. And some people are going to really love that. And some people are going to be frustrated with it. And I think I was on the end where I was like, yeah, I don't really love that as a mechanism for determining when the end of the mission is going to be like, I want to kind of explore more. I, I like I wanted more of that first game. And so that was my first impression, right? For you, it was your fourth, fifth, sixth game of it already. And it didn't bother you. But for me, it kind of stuck out because that was my first experience with the game and that can taint people's views of your game in the future. Yeah, which is something we've talked about before. Like you need to carefully consider for conventions, you need to carefully consider for tutorials, what is the first taste of your game? Like a lot of the dungeon crawlers we've been playing recently, they do a really good job of having a simple tutorial that doesn't have too much going on. But I think you have to carefully present that in the right way, because if somebody plays that and they're, they just came off their Gloomhaven campaign and they had like 15 cards that had careful interplays and all this stuff, and they're like, that's it, that's what your game has to offer, and they'll never play the second scenario and see that you add 15 more options, <laughs> you know, or a few more options each uh, scenario. And it's going to be different, right? Because we talked about that Red Dragon Inn game from earlier. I love that. I love that it eased me in and then said at the end of the scenario, get two more cards and that's going to be your cards for the next scenario. And for some people, they're like, I didn't really feel like I was doing that much. I didn't have that many choices, but I was like, oh, it was 30 minutes and look what we have going forward. For me, it's exciting. So I don't think there's a right answer here. Like, I mean, I think there's plenty of wrong answers, but I don't know that there's a right one because you're going to excite certain people and then you're going to turn certain people off depending on how simple you make those tutorials. I know Jerry, for example, typically hates those kind of missions because he's like, well, I just want to see what the game's about. You know, this doesn't give me a feel for the game. But me, I like to slowly introduce things. So I, I think it's very personal. Well, yeah, and I think we, we've talked about this before, but in the episode like way long back, we talked about uh, difficulty levels and how like naming them can give very different feelings like, if you want your game to not be way super difficult, then, you know, you can have, like, the easy mode be the starting thing, but you got to name it the right thing. You got to say, hey, you're going to play in family mode for your first game. Look, everybody, it's family mode. You're playing Flashpoint Fire Rescued family mode. And that way they <laughs> they have in mind, if you're, like, a heavier gamer, oh, well, you know, who cares if it was kind of simpler? That was family mode. I, you know, I, I'm going to give the game one more chance because I didn't really see what it has to offer. So I think if you're doing like a tile lane game and you say, sometimes this can happen and be ready for that. And you can do this to like kind of change it up or have more control. Or if you're doing a dungeon crawler tutorial, if you say right in there, you're only going to have a few options for this one just to teach you the basics of the game. Don't worry, you'll have a lot more to do in the next one. Like, I think that transparency and like trusting your audience that if you tell them something, they'll like understand it and let it color their gameplay. I personally think that's a good thing to do because... That way, you know, that message gets across and you at least get that second play. Now, if nobody likes your game after two plays, then I think you have a bigger problem here. Well, sure. Yeah. <laughs> if the only problem is that the first play is too easy or too swingy, I think those are some ways to like hopefully get them to at least give it one more shot. Well, I'll give a perfect example. We actually had this debate with spare parts where our tutorial mission, I wanted to call mission zero just to set the tone, right? Just to set the expectations. Instead of calling it mission one, I was of the mind to call it mission zero because it's like, okay, this is 
letting you know this is a tutorial. If you play back through the campaign, you almost don't have to play this mission again, right? This is just to get you a feel for the game and move on. It's almost like it's not a throwaway mission because we put a lot of time and effort into that mission, right? But I still felt like it was different. And I think naming it Mission Zero set different expectations. And obviously, we're on the same page with it now. But I I think that was something that was hard for us to learn, right? And so I think that's a good tip for designers as well. Consider what you're naming things, what you're calling things. You can call something an introductory mission. This is the demo mission, whatever you want to call it, something to get you into the game. And I will say, you sparked something else in my mind when you were talking there. You talked about people's first impressions, setting up the demos. I have made this mistake as a designer and a pitcher of games so many times where I didn't set it up so it was the best experience. Look, we know cooperative games have a cone of possibilities. And sometimes that cone's wider than others. And so sometimes you're going to get very swingy games where it's like you get everything you want to come out at the beginning and it's beautiful and people have a great experience. And sometimes it's not that way. When you're pitching a game, you got to cheat and set up that deck so that they get the best possible experience. You want to give them a little bit of a feel for what different cards might look like. But also, you don't want them to get like punched in the face on turn one and have one of those negative experiences. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pandemic Legacy Season Zero, when they put out, in a cool move, they put out early a demo, uh, like, non-mission, not from the actual game, on a tabletop simulator. And they were like, leave the cards in the order they are. And we played them, and we, were, we saw exactly what they were doing. They were like, oh, they want us to mess up here. Oh, they want us to have to go there to do this, you know? And, like, they curated the experience, which is not something you want to do <laughs> every time you play a game. It's not something you want to do with your playtesters. You want to get honest reactions and understandings of the game. but. Yeah, at a convention, like where you're just like, or especially selling it to a publisher, show them the best you have, like hook them. Like we got lucky with the first game we sold in that we had a kind of perfect game for the publisher and like they had a great time with it, but we left it to fate and it might not have gone that way. <laughs> so Absolutely. That, that, that was a rookie mistake looking back. And you look at Oathsworn, right? All of us. It's our number one game we're most excited to play. But anybody but you has not actually played the game. We all played a demo that was set up for us at Gen Con. Me, you, Jerry, Barrett, Steve, we've all played that same demo, which was one turn of the game, which was perfectly set up for you to do some really cool stuff. And every group that went through kind of did the same thing, I'm sure. And they all got to feel really cool because they set you up to feel that way. And we had one turn, but that one turn was so brilliant that we can't wait to get more of it. But really, we've played one turn of that game. That The rest of the game could be trash. Now, I know it's not because you've played it more, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> and I, tr- I trust your opinion. But I'm just saying it was a brilliant thing. They didn't let you play more than one turn, right? Because they had so many people in line waiting to play to try it. They, but they set up the perfect experience. And I think... That's not a bad thing to remember when you're pitching, too. I know we're way off of tiles. At yeah, point. I was about to say, there you go. The final word on tiles. Make sure <laughs> you carefully set up your pitch when you're playing it at a convention. Boom. Well, but, right? <laughs> but right? Like, tile games are swingy. That's a thing. So we were talking, this all started from setting up your deck. And maybe Pandemic has it right, where you put a certain number of good tiles and bad tiles in each third of the pile or whatever pandemic sets it up that way so you're not going to get all those bad things back to back to back it's a little extra work for the players but it's worth considering because you can't be there for every game and if they have a terrible experience their first time out players aren't likely to come back so do what you can to make that experience pleasurable and if that means setting up the deck that takes a little bit extra time for setup i think it might be worth it 
All right. Well, we uh, we wandered around a bit, but I think that's okay. Thanks for following us if you listened to this far. Of course they listen. They're still hearing our voices. <laughs> Only people that are hearing our voices have listened this far. You you are the true fans. You are the chosen ones. Thank you all. <laughs> no, I actually think it was a very good discussion. Don't patronize my discussion. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not, I, I did say it was a bad discussion. I'm, I'm appreciating the people who are still here with us. <laughs> oh, you're killing me, Mike. You're killing me. <laughs> all right everyone uh, thanks for listening we'll see you in uh, a couple more weeks enjoy our other podcast episode check out our streaming channel awesome work being done there mainly by uh, peter and steve doing some great stuff yeah and we got some great reviews for you coming up i think steve's gonna have his review of iridia coming up next week and then the following week i think we're gonna dig into descent with colin and barrett so we got some pretty hot games coming up the next couple weeks so stay tuned for sure All right. Have a great week of gaming, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Yeah, but before we get too far into it, let's thank our Patreon supporters. We have Nahir Naliki. No, that's not right. Niall K N I L E K A N I Niall Kani. You said there's a message in Skype that has this? No, Discord. It's oh, your Discord, Discord message to me. Oh, hold on. Nahir Nalkani. Got it. So first, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. First, we'd like to thank Nihir Nalkani. It's definitely co- not Nihir, dude. The I is first. Nihar. Nihar. And Nilakan. You know what? I got it. <laughs> you do it. This is your dig. This is your deal. Your dig? I don't even know what that is. We're digging now. In the night digging cage. for some night cages. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mike. Yeah. Night cage. Night cage. I knew you were gonna say that's the first time I predicted what you were gonna say. <laughs> that's good because I never know what I'm gonna say. So you know, you know me better than I know myself. Oh no, no, no! They, they, what, what else could we have said? Come on now. Except for uh, you know, uh, what, what is it? Valor and villainy. Uh, 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 twigs. Uh, T- tieflings tottering tenaciously. Nice tieflings bringing out the D and D deep cut. I love it. <laughs>